I wonder if you knew that last Friday was National Kindness Day. It says quite a lot about our world that some think that such a thing is necessary. Uh, that people need to be reminded to show kindness. It says everything really about the sinful, self-centred world in which we live. National Kindness Day. One of the charities that is behind it is linked to the legacy of Diana, Princess of Wales. And one of that charity's representatives uh, gave a quote from Princess Diana. Uh, she said this, Carry out a random act of kindness with no expectation of reward, safe in the knowledge that one day someone might do the same for you. Now that sounds absolutely fantastic, but can anyone see the glaring problem with that statement? Well, if you can't, let me point it out for you. If I am safe in the knowledge that one day someone will return that kindness, I am actually expecting a reward. Having just stated that it's to be with no expectation of reward. You see, the sinful human heart finds it virtually impossible to separate the idea of doing something without reward, but actually getting a reward. Sounds like a great statement, but it completely contradicts itself. Love is a subject that we all think we know and understand. But love, as most people understand it, is for the most part a very tainted and defective form of love. And as Princess Diana's much-quoted exhortation betrays, what lies at the heart of love for most people is this. I'm willing to love you, but I'm expecting something in return. Now, the Bible's explanation for all of this is that your sinful nature, whilst still knowing that love is good, and knowing that love is something that you need, and even knowing that love is something that you should express to others, your sinful nature, being proud and self-centered, makes you the focus of your love makes me the focus of my love. Love is something which, first and foremost, must benefit and satisfy me. That's the sinful heart. And when it comes to love, you must never be in debt. What do I mean by that, never be in debt? Simply that the sinful nature always does this equation in the heart. You must always love me 
at least as much as I love you. Or we might put it this way. My love for you must never be more costly for me than your love for me costs you. It must never cost me more than it costs you. Or we might put it like this, if you still don't quite get it. In loving someone, I must never give more than I receive back. That's the equation that the sinful heart does when it comes to love and kindness. And it's so ingrained, it can clearly be seen in that statement given by Princess Diana. And many people were quoting that, failing to see the inconsistency in her words. Now, it's very much a mark of God's common grace upon this sinful world that sinful men and women are able to experience and express and share a significant degree of love together. But those instincts that I've just mentioned are always, nevertheless, always lurking just beneath the surface. And when a relationship begins to struggle or when a relationship begins to go sour, those basic instincts soon rise to the surface. Now you can find some very high expressions of love in this world. For example, the way a parent might give no thought for their own welfare or safety if their child is threatened or in danger. Parents will do the most remarkable things for their children. But even so, that parent doesn't love everyone like that. (laughs) Only their children. What Jesus describes in in Luke chapter 6 is much closer to home for everyone. Verses 32 and 33 of that chapter, Jesus says this, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. There's no no medal to be worn on the chest for loving people who love you back. John wants to remind us that as Christian believers, we've been exposed to and we've been brought into the knowledge and experience of a whole new concept of love. But actually, that's not the correct way to put it. We've not been brought to a new concept of love. We've been reunited as Christian believers with the true and original concept of love. And note carefully how John returns to the theme of love immediately after he's been talking about doctrine and truth so that we might not be cold and legalistic in the application of God's truth, but rather that we might have a spirit of godly and Christ-like love as we express and declare the truth together. So as we consider these verses that John brings before us from verse 7, I just want to speak under four headings this morning. And the first 
has to be the obvious starting point, which is the person of God himself. God is, uh, love is of God, says John, and God is love. Well, now we see that in verses 7 and 8, and then he repeats it again in verse 16. Love is of God. God is love. God is the source and origin of love. And so love is defined by the nature of God himself. And the thing that we note here is not so much that love defines God, but that God defines love. You see, it's no good trying to look at earthly examples of love because they're always going to be defective and faulty in some, in some measure. It's no good looking at earthly examples of love and saying, God is like that. Oh, that we could. But any example of earthly love that we choose to point to will always be imperfect, and it would actually misrepresent God. Instead, we look to God and say, Love is like him. That's the way round to put it. Not to say that God is is like this and try and point at some human expression of love, but to do it the other way round. Say, if you want to know what love is like, look to God and you'll find love there. And even when you consider God's justice and the judgment that he exercises over sin, even in that there is perfect love being expressed by the Father. God's love is a pure and a righteous love. And the point that John is making is really very simple at the start of this section. You cannot know or understand or express love as it should be if you have no knowledge of God. You'll have a form of love, but it won't be love as it should be. Hence, we have those statements that John makes in verses 7 and 8. If you love as you ought to love, then that is a mark that you do know God. And if you don't, well, that's a sign that you don't know God, not really. So, if you know God then you come to see what love is really all about. What love is really like. And you yourself will love. The source and origin of it all is God himself. Because love is of God and God is love. And then secondly, he goes on to take it a little bit further. And he talks about God's love toward us. Because the reason that we know and understand what God's love is like is because he's actually demonstrated his love. He's put his love into action. It's not some abstract thing that we're talking about here. He's actually shown us what his love is all about. And God's love is not something that has no bearing upon my life. As a Christian believer, God's love has had a huge bearing on your life, hasn't it? Because that's who you are now. If it were not for God's love, you would not be a believer. 
You cannot be someone who has known and felt and understood the love that God has shown you and remain outside of that love yourself because God has demonstrated his love towards us. He's actually moved in love to us. And I find that verse 9 reminds me of a few other verses. Verse 9, in this the love of God was manifested toward us. It was revealed and made known towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. I found myself, of course, reminded of John 3.16, that wonderful verse that we know so well. For God so loved the world that he did something about it. His, His love moved him to do something. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so loved the world that whosoever believes in his son might not perish. God so loved the world that whosoever believes in his son might have everlasting life. God's revealed his love towards us. It reminds me of Romans 5 verse 8 that God demonstrates his own love. And again, this phrase towards us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us God's love has moved him activated him to work in our favor it's a wonderful love and God's works are for the benefit of vile and guilty sinners and rebels why would he do such a thing The Bible presents just one main answer because of God's love. Now there are other things as his will and his purpose and that all of these things bring him great glory and honor. But the Bible says it's his love that moves him to do this for us. You were once a rebel and a transgressor. Perhaps some of you here this morning still are. You were an enemy of God. You had no regard for him. You had no thought for him. There wasn't a single thing in you that would have attracted God's love towards you. There wasn't a a single thing in you that God could have looked at you and found you to be of the lovable sort. There wasn't anything in you that deserved God's love. It was because of his own love in himself which he chose to direct toward you, toward me. That's the kind of love that God is talking about. That's the kind of love that God is. That's the kind of love which is of God. And we've known this right from the start of the scriptures, way, way back in the Old Testament. Listen to these words from chapter 7 of Deuteronomy. Now here, God is talking about his Old Testament people, Israel. But listen to what he says. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Now, we might ask ourselves, why did God do that? He gives the answer. The Lord 
did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you. Why does God love me? Because he loves me. Because he is love. Because love is of God. We've never truly begun to grasp or comprehend what love is all about until we've seen love in God in action. That is love. Now verse 10 of 1 John 4 reminds us of an important aspect of God's love. The Lord Jesus, who came to be the propitiation for our sins, he came to satisfy God's justice. He came to satisfy God's demand that the wages of sin is death and that a penalty must be paid. Sin has a penalty. And God's love does not mean that he can turn his back on our sin. God's love does not mean that he can ignore our sin. God's love does not mean that he can just somehow overrule or cancel, cancel out his justice. It's not that God's love is bigger than his justice and love wins. God's justice still stands and God's justice still has to be satisfied. And so we discover that God's love and that God's justice are not contradictory to one another. The fact that we speak of a God of love and a God of judgment in the same breath, we're not contradicting ourselves in the way that we're speaking about God. God's love does not equate to going soft on sin. It's an issue that many unbelievers find very, very hard to reconcile in their thinking. And in many ways, it's something that we can only really approach in faith and belief when we come to Christ through the work of his spirit. But you see, the love that God has shown us in sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then he says, if God so loved us. Now, Christian, ask yourself this question. Any unbelievers here this morning, ask yourself this question. Which of these two loves that I'm just about to mention now, which of these two loves is the greater love? A love which goes soft on sin and which ignores the penalty... Or a love that recognises that the penalty has to be paid. And a love which gives up its own son in sacrifice to pay the penalty for that sin. So you've got a love which just goes soft on sin and says, there, there, it doesn't really matter. Or you've got a love that says, I'll send my own son to pay the penalty for you. Which is the greater love? Well, of course, it's the love that God has shown us in sending Christ. God has demonstrated the depth of his love. 
in sending Jesus into the world. Do you know this God of love? And if you do, verse 11, how can you not love given how he has loved you? And if you have come to know this love for yourself, that's what John is saying. And in this is a a source of great assurance for the Christian. We look around church fellowships like our own and we see, we're not all there perfectly yet, are we? But we see that's, that's the love of God being worked out in that believer, in that believer, in that believer. We can see this working in practice within our own fellowship and in other Christians in other places. The love of God taking a hold of someone's life and changing them and beginning to enable them to love as God loves. That's the mark of a saint. And that's what John moves on to talk about a little bit more. He talks about love for one another. He mentions that in this passage, doesn't he? Verse 11, love one another. It, it has an effect. It changes. It has an impact. And John's not writing this because he doesn't think this is working in any of the churches. He's writing because he knows this will be at work. In every true believer, this is what's happening. In every church where the saints of God are, this love is working itself out. And it's an encouragement as much as it is a challenge. And it's a challenge as much as it is an encouragement to us. Love for one another. Now there are some quite staggering things said in these verses. And John is not so much concerned to provide examples as to how we should love each other in these verses, but to explain why it is and how it is that that love can be there at all. That's his main concern here. He says in verse 12, the love of God is perfected in us. You become yourself a further demonstration of God's love in this world. Now, God has demonstrated his love in sending Christ, but he can also demonstrate his love now in the life of Christian believers. Other believing men and women become the objects of your love and of your care and of your concern. And the love of Christ is demonstrated further in you. Unbelieving men and women have in Christians a window through which they may see the love of God in us. Jesus said, this is how they'll know you're my disciples, the love that you have for one another. We are a window through which people can see the love of God at work. Because if we truly know God in our lives, we will be wonderfully, miraculously and marvelously transformed. And his love will be in us. And his love will be transmitted through us. How can this be so? Well, it's done by the means of the Holy Spirit in verse 13. Well, if you've been a Christian for a while and you've read some of the Bible, that won't come as any surprise to you. But it's an encouraging reminder. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is at work in you, this this love of which John speaks will be one of the unavoidable results in your life. This is one of the great things that the Holy Spirit will bring as fruit in your life. 
The fruit of the Spirit is, there's a list of nine things and the first of them is love. This is always true of the man or woman in whom God is abiding and who themselves are abiding in God, verse 15. And that's what a Christian is, aren't you? You're one in whom God resides now and you are abiding in him. The relationship that you've been drawn into, this union that you now have in the Lord Jesus Christ This is the source of this love that you now demonstrate. That love that you now have come into an intimate relationship with through the Lord Jesus Christ that you might live it out. Verse 16 tells us that this is God's own nature within you and flowing through you. We believe the love that God has for us. God is love. He who abides in love abides in God and God in him. You see, one important thing to grasp about this love that John is speaking of is that you don't need to try and manufacture it. In fact, it can't be done. This is not a love that sinful men and women without Christ, without the work of the Holy Spirit, can manufacture in themselves. And it's not about trying to stir up within yourself certain kinds of feelings towards others. And this is not a challenge that if you can succeed in loving like this, then God will be with you. The reason that you're abiding in love is that you've been brought, first of all, to abide in God through Christ. And it's the fruit of God abiding in you that brings this love to bear. Verse 19, you love God because he first loved you and you've come to know this love of God. Do you know the love of God for you in Christ? And then in verse 20, someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. You see, this love that John is talking about here It's the result of this spiritual work that God has done in your life. Hence the reference to the Holy Spirit that we've already seen. The Christian has become utterly convinced of God's love that has been revealed and demonstrated towards them. That's your position, is it not, Christian? The love that God has shown you? And you've come to that position even though you've never seen God. And you've become utterly convinced of the truth about God. And it's the truth about God and it's the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ which explains to us how God's love has been demonstrated. And it's by means of this truth in God's word that you've become convinced of God's love as the Holy Spirit takes this word and applies it into your heart and your mind. So the secret to this love that John is talking about is to begin with God. And as you know more and more of God's love for you, so your love for him will grow. As your your love deepens, your relationship with him will deepen as your relationship with Christ is nurtured 
as you take hold of those means of grace that God has given you to read his word and to commune with him in prayer, your love for him will grow. And as your love for God grows, then so your love for others will grow. It will be an outflowing and an outworking of this relationship that you have with your God and with your Saviour. Not something that you're trying to manufacture by some feelings that you're trying to produce within yourself. If you own an apple tree, this is the time of year when you'll be, get, you'll be starting to wonder what kind of crop I'm going to get this year. We, we have some raspberry canes in our garden and all the little green shoots are starting to come through. And I mm, wonder what kind of crop we'll get this year. Now, if you have an apple tree and you want a good crop of apples, actually, you don't pay too much attention to the apples. You concentrate on maintaining a healthy tree. You keep the tree healthy and the apples will follow. And it's a bit like that for the Christian, you see. It's not about trying to generate this love within yourself. Knowing his great love shown to us in Christ. Loving him in return. Abiding in him. And knowing that Christ is in me. And the love will flow. The love will be there. Because it's part of the fruit of being in Christ. That's the great encouragement that John is bringing us this morning. Concentrate your heart and your mind on the Lord. On your God, on your Saviour that you might grow with him, grow into him, abiding in him and in his love. And his love will abide in you and it will flow from you. And fourthly and finally, before we close this morning, I want to point out how also in these verses, as we've mentioned as we've been making our way through 1 John, we notice how truth and love are united together here. Now, we've been talking as we've been making our, th our way through 1 John about these three marks that there are in every, in every single Christian. And every single Christian has all of these three marks. It's all to do with truth and obedience. And it's all to do with, uh, with love for one another. And here we see how John weaves in references to truth and obedience as he's talking about love. So, for example, look at verse 14. We've seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Saviour of the world. The Father sending the Son has previously been mentioned in verses 9 and 10 with reference to God's love. But now John says, this also is the truth that we testify. You see, the truth we proclaim is all about the love that God has shown us. They're not two separate things. It's all part of the same thing. And the love that God has shown us is to be taught and explained by means of the truth. How, how can you tell me and show me that God loves me? Well, let me take you to the truth of the gospel. And you will see that God loves you. See, they, they go hand in hand. 
Because what we proclaim is far more than a mere statement of fact. We're not just proclaiming to the world, God is love. The truth we proclaim is so much more than a statement of fact. It is a presentation of facts. This is what God has done to show you his love. God has demonstrated his love in a very specific way. And through a very specific set of acts and circumstances and involving a very specific person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me show you the truth about him. And in these truths, you will see the love of God. God's truth and God's love must go together. They have to. Look at verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Confessing, it's speaking the truth. Look at verses 17 and 18. Love's been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. There's no fear in love, but perfect, perfect love casts out fear. Now here's a definition of God's love being perfected within the Christian. It's assurance in our hearts. It's being assured of these things. Boldness in the day of judgment. I have no fear of the day when Christ returns. Because I know there is no condemnation for me now. God's love being perfected in us brings assurance in gospel truth. To know God's love is to know the transforming work that God has done in us. Which means that we have no fear on the day of judgment. We're not under condemnation. Before God, we have the righteousness of Christ upon us. That's his declaration of you as a Christian. Because of God's love, the Christian is bold. The Christian's not fearful. Look at how God has loved me. What do I have to fear? Look at what God's done for me. Look at how I now stand in Christ. What do I have to be afraid of? Look at verse 21. We're commanded to love one another, says John. So John actually says that this love is part of our obedience. Part of our obedience to the truth is that we love one another as we love the Lord. But we've seen already that loving your Christian brother or sister is also the response of your new nature in Christ. And so John brings together, you see, obedience to God's commandments because we are commanded to love one another but he places alongside that the response of your heart as a new creature in Christ through the new nature that you have in Christ so those two things are placed side by side it's not this or that it's the two of them together God commands you to love but I do love because I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. And actually obeying this commandment is easy. If I have this new nature, responding from the heart because you know, not, you know God, 
you know what it is to be the object of God's love towards you in Christ. So we see how these things, they all dovetail together in the life of the Christian, which is why John is weaving in and out of these three marks which are seen in all of Christ's disciples. John, in the opening to his gospel, tells us there that the Lord Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth. And every true believer bears those same marks of Christ's truth and grace. And may we all do so more and more to the praise and glory of his name.